0: I have Julie Castro Abrams today with me. I'm just very honored to have her. She's the founder, CEO, and chair of How Women Lead, a network of 14,000 women. They are top executives, leaders, and current aspiring board members and investors. Julie is also the GP of How Women Invest, an angel investing fund that has invested millions in women-owned startups. Recently, Julie was featured on Forbes magazine for her accomplishments on uh, leading how women invest, and she's also on one of the task forces of California Governor Gavin Newsom, the first partner's initiatives. For my own personal involvement with how women lead over two and a half years, both as a member of the leadership committee and through helping aspiring executives to get on corporate boards with their board bios, LinkedIn profiles, and resumes. I have come to know Julie really well and admire her passion, talent, brilliance, leadership, authenticity, and business savviness. And all of these are inspiring to me and to lots of women. Welcome, Julie.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: My first question for you is, what is the single most powerful obstacle preventing minority women from rising to board positions?
1: Honestly, it's something that is very hard to control or to counter. It's, it's bias. Uh, we have uh, heuristic uh, structures that we have that help us, you know, organize the world. And unfortunately, the people in power uh, have biases in their minds about whether or not uh, what women of color and women can contribute in the boardroom. Uh, So we have to work against those biases, which is just super hard.
0: Yes. Yeah, I agree with you. And somehow I learned the statistics that um, in Asian countries, not all of them, women startup funders, they get more of an equal footing treatment with men. They get funded more equally than in the United States. Mm -hmm. So I guess, you know, we have as an advanced country, economically, we have a long way to go, longer way to go uh, than the rest of the world in, in terms of the, you know, respecting women leadership. So number two is what parts do men play in advancing qualified women to board positions? Do you view men in leadership positions as women's uh, career partners, helpers, or competitors?
1: I think men are they play every role that you can possibly play, and so do women. Um, you know not all women are great actors either. So I think what men in their best possible selves, what they can do for us, is they can be conscious of the bias. And actively work against it. Uh, they can learn how to put structures in so that when you have meetings where you know you have diversity in that community in that room, that you can really get everybody's voice heard uh, and not let people uh, be rail- railroaded over. Um, uh, it, one thing that we know, another sort of way we are as human beings is most of us in our personal lives. Our community, our friends are kind of like us, similar ages, similar ethnic and educational backgrounds. You have to work pretty uh, assertively to sort of break through and find um, other people uh, to have deep relationships with. But it's not just knowing them and checking, checking off a box. It's like, how do you really find common ground and safety amongst each other? It is Far easier for any of us to talk to someone, to make decisions, to move quickly if the person already knows where we're coming from, because they're like us. Uh, so men, you know, let's say a 50-year-old white guy, most of his networks can be 50-year-old white guys. Just, it's a normal, it's not his fault, that's life. Uh, so what he has to do is understand, I'm not going to get the best contributions to this board or this this company, whatever it is, if I only go to my network. It's easier It's faster, but it's not good in the long run. Uh, I'll give you an example. Product recalls in companies with diverse boards go three times faster. Mm. Someone can die if you do not recall certain kinds of product problems, right? Uh, So, the reason why, because groupthink in environments where you are all very similar is, is extremely problematic. It happens all the time. It's a it's a shortcut our brain puts us through to be able to uh, get to faster decisions and save energy. Um, you know, if I'm with some other people who are like me and I know one of them, you know, always does her homework, I might be less likely to do my homework. But if I'm in a diverse group and I represent my unique position of what I know, I'm going to do my homework, show up prepared, and be ready to advocate for my position. Uh, and so that's an example of what happens uh, in those group dynamics. And there's a great Stanford researcher, her name's Amy Wilkinson, and she's done research that shows when you have a diverse group, just like I just explained. Everybody up games, everybody works harder, everybody does more and brings more to the table. It's harder on the individuals and it's harder on the leader. So that man or woman who is leading that board meeting or that group needs to actively work to create a sense of everybody's engagement and contribution. And then they'll have more risk management, Mm -hmm. better financial performance and decision making. And frankly, in this day and age with you know, lightning fast social media, et cetera, you know, you will not you will have less risk of the company making a big misstep.
0: Yes, I, I heard from the corporate leaders that uh, diverse groups, truly diverse groups, they perform better, period. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. and also it's like the avoidance of echo chamber. If yeah. you have a bunch of just very similar backgrounds, similar points of view sitting together, They don't see their own blind spots Mm -mm. and they don't have the challenges. You know, they're not held to a higher level of performance and thinking if they feel the pressure of being challenged because the group is diverse, then everybody performs better. Yes, I totally agree with that.
1: That actually is in every single area of life and work. It's not just the boardroom.
0: Right. I wish that applies to politics, but... (laughs)
1: It does apply, but it doesn't
0: mean that we do it. (laughs) That's true. It's too uh, party line trenched. It's like, you know, politics is not a football game, but too bad. Many people play, uh, you know, to to their disadvantage, viewing it as a sport. Okay. So, number three is is how women lead similar to and different from the feminist movement?
1: Well, I mean, the feminist movement depends on which one you're talking about. There have been many, many, many over the years and over times and in different cultures. Uh, and, And this is feminism means you would you want to see everybody have an equal opportunity. You want women to have equal opportunities. My guess is if I said to, you know, the United States population, let's say, what percentage of you believe women should have equal opportunities? My guess is ninety-five percent of the people are going to say yes. Uh, if you say that the feminism word people have it so misconstrued, you know that you know half of the people will say yes. And so I I, I really think it's just got a bad rap. Um, but how women lead is all about feminism. We're all about equity for women period. So we tackle the areas where there is the biggest inequity and the biggest opportunity to influence equity and justice for women and people of color across the board. So that's things like 2%, only 2% of every venture dollar that's invested in women in companies uh, uh, is invested in women founders. It's abysmal. 98% goes to men. Uh, and so if you think about that, that is, that is it is so egregious, you know there's deep bias in that system. There's no way you could argue that there aren't, uh, and of course we've proven, that there are plenty of women ready to be invested. In fact, Morgan, uh, uh, Morgan Stanley did a report in the fall that said you could put $4 trillion four trillion, into the hands of investors. We could make massive amounts of wealth if we just invested in the women-founded companies out there. We're leaving huge. We are leaving as a society. We're leaving massive amounts of wealth on the table. But to me, women aren't actually. We have some things that we can do better. We need to step up and start investing in venture. Uh, and if we don't start doing it, um, we're leaving power, influence, and wealth on the table. Venture capitalists are the first board members uh, to serve in a in a in early stage companies. Uh, they. They are the ones who make or break it when you have brands and, and products that you want uh, out in the marketplace. Uh, and of course, you know when women founders are funded and grow big companies, they one they they amass a lot of wealth. Often, they will then start, you know playing and venture themselves they'll start being a venture capitalist and the cycle becomes very it becomes elevated and richer uh, it, you know we we have got to start uh, using our money and our power and influence uh, to to move the needle for all of us
0: yes uh, that is so timely and historically uh, during the Civil War it was the a group of women who were first to petition for the Thirteenth Amendment, mm-hmm. and and uh, the women's suffrage, you know, ab- about hundred years ago, without their mm-hmm. active participation and advocating advocating our rights, we would never have the voting rights mm-hmm. for ourselves. So, ho- however you label it, you know, time is now for women to be treated equally uh, and not to be biased against. Okay.
1: Well, so- I'm not- I just say, Joanne, a lot of the historical reasons for not having women on boards or not for women not being the C-suite are gone. Um, so women have more education than men. Black women have the highest level of education in the United States of America. Uh, and, you know, we have more, women have literally achieved uh, equal footing in terms of wealth. Uh, in the United States. Now, a lot of that was generational transfer or inherit, you know, wealth that was inherited by somebody else, or uh, you got it through your spouse. So not, the women aren't necessarily always making the money themselves, but we have it. Uh, and we need to step into the power and use that wealth well. So, um, and and furthermore, like, you know, 30 years ago, you know, there were only a handful of women who were working uh, or working in, in professional executive careers. Now, uh, you know, the, the only thing that's stopping us is the bias in the system and, and the, the broken ladder that we find throughout the, the process. But women are prepared educationally, the uh, experience and uh, with the, the power, influence and wealth that we want to step into
0: it. OK, so next question is uh, very relevant to mothers because um, it is a personal issue as well as a societal issue, okay? Some women believe that being the best mothers they can be is leadership since women raise their sons and daughters as the future male and female leaders. In doing the best they can in a traditional role like Barbara Bush, women are leading too in that regard. What is your view on the diverse approaches to women's leadership?
1: Well, I agree with that 100%. I have a son and a daughter. So, and they're adults and they're amazing human beings. Um, and so I, I feel like, um, it, you know, the definition, there was this definition called the ideal worker. It's somebody who can work 90 hours a week and get on airplanes and do whatever they need to do. They're going to sacrifice everything for the company. That's an old archetype. It is, it is unhealthy. It's not sustainable for men or women at this point. Um, and so I think we have to, you know, completely shift how we think and create flexibility both at work um, and in just life stages. There's a friend of mine, Lisa Stromberg, who wrote a book and she researched all of these uh, working mothers who had taken some time off at. At some point in time, and her research showed that it ultimately, uh, if if it was within a, a reasonable amount of time, like a couple of years, uh, when people went back to work, they they got right back on and did just as well as their peers in terms of their career. So our lives are long, you know, creating some flexibility in how we think about, um, uh, you know, when you know when we work full steam ahead, when we take a break. You know, whether it's kids or whether it's caring for your parents or whether it's wanting to go do some social work, you know, in another country as a Peace Corps volunteer for a year or two. A lot of people make choices like that throughout their careers. And I think it makes you richer and better. Uh, But to me, you know, ultimately, I've accomplished a great deal in my career the very best thing I've ever done is raising my beautiful children. And, and uh, they're strong, they're smart, they're kind, they're responsible, uh, and they care about the world. And that's, to me, that what could be better.
0: Yes, I myself took years off raising my two sons. Yeah. And uh, um, it wasn't an easy choice, okay? You devote, your full-time raising them when they're small, when they needed you the most, when they're being molded. So uh, I don't regret that. And But I admit after they're grown up, I finally got the chance to fully live my dreams <laughs> and uh, do what I love every day. You know, I don't have enough hours in the day to enjoy my work. It's not like really work, it's like vacationing every day because um, at different stage in our life, we make choices and motherhood, is a sacred duty, mm-hmm. and your own children they can only bond with you for so little time when, when they're exactly. small, you know. Uh, that's the influential exactly. stage. Yes. Exactly.
1: But I just wish people didn't see it as black or white. It's not, you know, it's not one or the other. There's a million ways to do it and do it beautifully. Mm-hmm. I have uh, I have siblings, um, one who uh has worked but didn't work and the, it, with the intensity and leadership that i did i have another who stayed at home with her kids um and another who's gone in and out of staying at home uh, and we all have built different skill sets and different experiences that add to who we are um i don't my my belief in experience because we had enough resources to to be safe and have support um uh and we were very lucky um but all of our kids are thriving, regardless of what that composition of, you know, the the mother's engagement at different moments in time has been. Um, so I think I think there's all kinds of things that can work. Um, mm-hmm. I know that um, you know research says that uh, working moms have uh, more their daughters uh, often uh, and sons. I think they say will will have more executive uh, success. Um, I don't know i feel like i've seen it all over the map in my personal experience um but what is kind of fun is um my kids will say to me you know all the things they heard me negotiating on you know on the phone while they were in the room if you will for work etc all these messages about how to be at work um they took them with them and it's made they they say they can hear my voice in their ear while they're working um Mm -hmm. about you know be direct. Be crisp. Get to the point. Tell me what the goal is. What's the best possible outcome? Like all those mantras that you know, as a as a leader, that I um, am always saying to people around me. Um, you know, they uh, they got a little bit of a leg up because at least they had all that language. So, right.
0: so there is no one universal recipe for everybody because every family is different. So the situation and every kid is, different. is different. Right. I mean,
1: I- I have family members and friends with kids with special needs or other challenges, um, and and uh, and some people,
0: you know, are better at multitasking. Some people thrive on the chaos. Some people need the the balance, right. right? And the choices are different, and the support system is different. Each family has different support system, mm-hmm. and so um, so we we do respect every woman's choice based on what they have and what their priorities are at certain stages of their life. Uh, and I do um, want to uh, follow up on the point you mentioned that uh, when the, the old prototype of corporate supermen, superwomen is not healthy. So uh, pandemic had this silver lining of reminding us what can be accomplished efficiently without being trapped in an old, Streamline the assembly line assembly line model, uh, so this the new model is a platform model that people can collaborate online, and of course there are things that uh, online uh, meetings and online uh, task management is not enough. You you do need you know some kind of a contact sports. So you need you need people to get together you know as a team. But I think we're we're moving toward an era where more flexibility is allowed for motherhood for for uh, men supporting uh, raising children and the society because it takes a village you know to raise kids the society more uh, taking more shares to sh- to shoulder you know the burdens more equally so that is a you know we can talk about that subject for a long time now let me move on to the next question. Uh, the term women of color can be Latino heritage, African heritage, African-Americans, Asians, etc. So for limited board seats, how do you handle the, quote unquote, competitions among different groups of women minorities? Well, the competition suggests that it's a
1: pie and there's a, li- you know, there's so many opportunities and I, I don't see it as a competition and, um, to me, it's just a conscious choice to say, we need different perspectives. I don't have to tell you, you know, the suggestion that all Asians or all Latinos are somehow one type of person is insanity. You know, you you could have such diversity just with Korean women, let alone comparing Japanese women to Chinese women, to Thai women, to Korea. I mean, the diversity is tremendous. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I think it's It is necessary to get people to change and evolve, to give them carrots and sticks, to say it is absolutely required to get women and diversity on your board. Um, uh, But the suggestion that it's sort of like, okay, I met my one quota of one woman of color, she's gonna represent every single type of woman. (laughs) In the United States, it's insanity. Um, so I would love to see boards filled with women of every different background. Um, and if you have five Korean women, it doesn't mean they all have the same perspective either. Uh, depending on their age, their educational background, their areas of expertise, where they're from, what their culture is—you know—it's where you know the it. But but it's the diversity that makes it beautiful, um, and and make, gets us out of groupthink and the dangers of that.
0: Yes, you just answered almost my next question, which is, how do you handle racial and gender stereotypes yeah. and reverse discrimination? Yeah. Well,
1: what do you mean reverse discrimination? It's tell me what you think that means to you.
0: <laughs> it's, uh, well, the the politically correct quote unquote version of discrimination is like men discriminate discriminate against women and the uh, white uh, discriminate against the color. So what if it's the reverse, is the color discriminate against the white and uh, women discriminate against men? Listen, it, when you're the dominant
1: group, when you, ha- when you get 98% of all venture funding, when you have 83% of all public company board seats, when you have you know 60% of all private company board seats, The suggestion you're being discriminated against that somehow you get that next slot uh, as opposed to, you know, a a mandate that says you need to have diversity so it's safer. I just think that's baloney. And, you know, I you know, we have this venture fund. Right. And I constantly men are applying for funding. And I say to them, we're trying to address the fact that only 2% of venture dollars goes to women founded companies. And these some of these guys get mad and argue with me. Mm. I'm like, this is the thesis of our fund. And it, you can talk all you want. It doesn't matter. But um, I just think that there's this, there is this sense that like, I deserve everything. And if anything is outside of my reach, it's discrimination. Um, and that's just unacceptable thinking. I have a, so we have a, um, I'm married to a Mexican immigrant. We have two kids that are half Mexican. Um, And they also won the genetic lottery. Uh, Both of them skipped a grade. Uh, They're both extremely healthy and successful. And our son um, took every AP class, got straight A's, and in addition to skipping a grade and getting all those, you know, being brilliant, he also physically is very strong. So he was one of the top 10 swimmers in the United States of America. Oh, and he was recruited by every single university in the country, uh, all the top ones, because the other ones didn't even try. Uh, and he ended up choosing to go to Harvard. And my daughter was in the, in the line at Starbucks um, uh, to get a cup of coffee. And she heard some kids, a couple people in front of her say, hey, did you hear that Kenneth got into Harvard? Uh, And one of them said, yeah, it's because he's Mexican. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, they can choose to look at it that way. They could also think like, He's just better than, than us at every single thing. <laughs> I mean, he just—he just lucked out. It's not, it, you know, I'm not taking any credit for any of it. But to suggest that, you know, to always carry that around, you know, that—that that to me, right there, is racism, racism and discrimination. Like that, that sort of belief that, you know, anyone who's got a drop of brown in them uh, somehow couldn't possibly have gotten it on their own merits is is so wrongheaded. Um, but it's 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 constant. And as a white person who's very, um, uh, moves in this world, uh, with a, you know, decent amount of privilege and, and, uh, but also a lot of understanding because I live with an immigrant, um, and I've spent my entire life working with, you know, and supporting people of color. Um, I'll tell you, I hear it all the time. Uh, and these, just these, uh, subtle, uh, racist comments, um, I was in a board meeting and we were we were getting some research about the composition you know that what percentage of the population is going to be you know different ethnicities going forward and a white woman leans over to me and she says well where how does that where does that leave us as if somehow like fewer white people mean something less for white people like i just to me it is um it's just outrageous uh, that we continue to think in these ways but It's this it's this tribal small thinking mentality that, uh, you know, more for you means less for me somehow, um, Mm -hmm. as opposed to the pie grows, which it does. We all make more money when we when we do things uh, in a in a way that uh, gives equal opportunity to everybody. It literally does not take anything away from the white guy.
0: Right. So it's the point of scarcity out of fear zero-sum yeah. game if, uh-huh. if they, you gain I lose that kind of mentality again relating to the football game mentality toward politics okay yeah. it's yeah. It, versus a, from the view of plentifulness it's like yeah. we all grow the bigger pie together yeah. instead of fighting over the crumbs we yeah. we all contribute to growing a bigger pie and everybody you know okay. is better off which is yeah. the fact.
1: There's this research or this little research that just came out um, that said it was talking about gamers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, so the, the male gamers who are B players, they're not great. They are violently uh, against and say nasty negative things about women gamers. Mm. But the A player guys are treat women equally. So what's kind of interesting too is to think about who's the source. Is it the A guy? Is it really um, you know uh, the 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 men who are the most intelligent and successful, or or the people, or is it that B person who's threatened because they actually don't have the skills to get into? They don't can't qualify for Harvard or they don't have the the they don't have the best business and shouldn't be getting venture investment. Um, You know, it it, it, to me, I think we have to also always just kind of go, huh, where's Mm -hmm. that? What's that about? Why are you so threatened by me? Is there a reason why you're so worried about it not being an equal about it being an equal playing field? Does that do you really feel like you're not up for it? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's the sort of mirror I'd like to shine, you know, to give people Um, and just say it looks really ugly when you look so insecure. So don't say these negative things about women and people of color, because it clearly shows that you're not up for the task. Right. It's that's kind of what I think the research might show. Mm
0: -hmm. They're trying to cover up their own insecurity by projecting it onto some some group they can victimize. It's a, it's a, it's a projection of this. And, I, and I don't think nobody does this. Well, not nobody, but people don't really do this intentionally. Oh, yes. And so,
1: you know, part of it, you're like, oh, I mean, if you can step back and think like, I feel sorry for you because clearly you not, Yes. you, you don't feel like you're going to. Let's, let's follow
0: that line of thought. So that's, it's in our interest, men and women's interest, aspiring men and women's interest to put the best- in a leadership position, the A players, the true A players in the leadership position, whether they're men or women, Mm -hmm. good, are about quota mentality. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, I don't care whether women are qualified or not, Uh, there is a quota here for the public board and therefore everybody should have a woman, whether they're qualified or not. What do you think of that? That that isn't even on the table no unqualified women are getting on public company boards, Joanne. It just
1: doesn't happen. And there are a lot of unqualified men. Um, so let's just be clear. I, there's Anita Sands is a great public company director. She's a brilliant, wonderful woman. Uh, and she says like the day we have unqualified women on the board, we'll know that we're, we've met it. We've made it. We know we've met some kind of equality if somehow you, know, you finally get unqualified women on the board. Um, you know, if you look at, women CEOs of big companies, they are so head and shoulders above the, the rest in terms of their qualification skills, training, you know, and, and just their own personal capacity. Because in order to ever even get there, you have to be the absolute best. There's no way you're being passed along if you're, um, if you're a, a woman or a woman of color. Uh, you, you, you fight for every single thing that you get.
0: That's true. I, I agree with that because it takes us a lot more than men to quote unquote prove ourselves. But if men or women uh, prove to be not deserving at certain position, they they screw up. Well, women have an equal chance to screw up too. We don't have to you know uh, be unrealistic, but the the opportunities should be the same. You know, but we work. exceptionalized anyone. So if you have,
1: you know, if you have three women uh, CEOs out of the 500, Fortune 500 companies, I think maybe it's five right now. I don't know. It's not very many. Um, uh, you know, if you, if you have such a small number and one of them screws up, people are like, oh, that's why, it, you know, that's why you shouldn't have women in it, which is so wrongheaded. Right. Uh, the other thing is, um, she may screw up, but most of the time what happens is they bring in women when the company's failing. Uh, if you look at all the women CEOs of the very top companies, it's very uh rare that they're brought in with a company that's thriving um, they're coming in to clean it up and rescue and so the likelihood that they're going to be successful is even uh more you know challenging.
0: I hope they will bring us all with <laughs> uh Whenever they bring men on, you know, whether we're not supposed to be just clean up, but we can lead the company to thrive too, okay? So again, it's an equal opportunity issue. So number nine, my question is in light of the partisanship and divisiveness in our country, would you want how women lead to contribute to the unity of the country? If so, in what ways? Of of course, Um, but I'll I'll tell you for
1: me, um, there's some, conversations about unity that are happening that I will not buy into. I will not buy into going backwards or unity and in a way that sacrifices justice and equity for people. So personally, I am going to fight for what's right. Not always what unifies. Um, now I would love it, to me, my whole raison d'etre, my whole purpose in the world is love. Um, I can understand you and not want to unify or agree with you you know, I can care for you and still uh, believe that what you're doing is wrong. Um, But I will not ever, uh, I just, that's probably why I can't run for public office uh, because I'm not going to compromise my integrity ever. Uh, For me, that's, that's the bottom line. So uh, if somebody else thinks unifying means we compromise, um, I am not going to compromise things that um, for me, that should be hard and fast rules.
0: Mm -hmm. That is such a perfect segue to my next question, which is, would you you prefer America to be a melting pot or a salad bowl?
1: Oh, I'd love a salad bowl. Melting pot means everybody... Is gray and looks soupy and the same. I love cultures. I love differences. I just wish we could respect and be and and lean in and try and understand. Um, you know, figure out where are you coming from and how can this add value to what we're doing as opposed to feeling threatened by it or otherwise somehow um, othering. I'll tell you what I think is kind of interesting, Joanne. Um, you know, I'm, I grew up in Iowa, white person, lovely, good education, uh, very little diversity. So actually uh, in some ways, I think I wasn't taught some of the hate that a lot of people were taught because there was nobody close enough for anyone to point at, right? It, anything that was happening was on TV. Um, but I didn't have, I feel like, and most white people in the United States feel this way. Like there isn't a culture and you feel like you're missing out and you feel a little jealous. And for me, I was like, oh, I can't wait to learn about all these different cultures and really get to know people, understand their food and their language and everything else. Um, but I think a lot of white Americans actually get threatened by it because they are they don't understand it and they're a little jealous. And so they, in, instead of being open-hearted, open-minded and leaning in, um, mm-hmm. they actually kind of do the opposite which is, um, you know, isolate and hunker down and other people. But I really think it's because there isn't a sense of unification. So when you look at the last couple of years, this like make America great Again," go back. It's like, go back to what? Um, you know, there isn't an American culture that you can get your arms around and say, let's all unify behind this individualism is one of the biggest things about our culture. Well, that in and of itself suggests there's not a unifying message. Um, the whole, the whole point is like, as if there's a meritocracy and a bootstrapping, you know, um, but people, everyone in the united states knows there are limits it's not a true meritocracy even for white people there's always someone wealthier someone with more access someone with more something um and so it makes you mad and they can't understand it they haven't figured out the why around it and so they want to blame uh somebody else um it's just like the person blaming you know saying my son was going to harvard because he's mexican you know it's um it's them not uh trying wanting to understand uh, or accepting that they themselves, you know, might have some mm-hmm. limitations.
0: Yes. So I wrote a blog just a couple of weeks ago. It's about poetically and then metaphorically speaking, you either live in a ever shrinking world of yourself withdrawn because you view everything else is a threat to you. So that is like a life of black hole. Okay. Or like a life of a big band, you keep expanding, keep growing, keep expanding and embracing the, the difference, embracing the novelty, and you, you enrich your life that way. There, there's, it's, it's just the universal language of binary, two ways of being, you know, and so it is um, uh, our American challenge, if we, and the global challenge, because we are getting such a, smaller ever increasing smaller world due to the digital connectedness yeah. and and how do you have this common thread of humanity at the same time celebrate diversity and culture and and still keep the the the, the, the community the country together it's uh, always going to be a challenge and at the okay. end of the day because literally the way our human brains work are heuristic
1: it literally from Cape Mendes, days, we classify things and people, we try and figure out what's dangerous to us. We try and organize things. This, these all, uh, no matter what color, they're all apples, right? Whatever that, that heuristic is. And we have to work against that in this world that we are. So you have to actually acknowledge and undo our, our conditioning, our thinking uh, about, you know, what,
0: uh, you know, what is truth threat? Is,
1: yeah, yes. true, certainly.
0: Yeah, because the common humanity is the overwhelming theme. You know mm-hmm. that is, uh, we 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 need to train the next generation, train ourselves, yes. and to deal with our own biases and you know. Well, and
1: certainly you know this. There's discomfort in different moments of that. Like you know, you go to France. And, um, you know, uh, the French people think the Americans are too brash and they're too this or they're too whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and and you can feel it sometimes that backlash. Right. I don't mean to pick on French people, but it's it's something we all understand. I think that cultural thing mm-hmm. um, that doesn't feel good. It doesn't feel good to have to feel like you have, you know, when you don't know the dominant culture that you're screwing up. And it's in all kinds of cultures. Some cultures, it's like, don't look me in the eye. Don't touch the person's, you know, shake the person's hand in a certain way, or whatever it is, they're cultural frames, and you have to learn them. And if you aren't, if you are, you know, if you have a little bit of ego or narcissism that stops you from wanting to learn that culture first, you're going to feel rejected because someone's going to bristle at you because you're not you're not doing it the right way. You're doing it in a way that's, that's uncomfortable for that culture. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, there, there are little landmines that you have to know and be ready for and, and want to learn and lean in. But I think we're so, you know, we're so narcissistic and egocentric in the United States. We're so nationalist. We think somehow everybody should want to be like Americans and, you know, it's, it's, um,
0: Yes, the the, the human.
1: Unfortunate, we're not. We're setting ourselves up for failure in, in yes. this diversity world, in terms of some of the cultural frames here.
0: And, and the failure of COVID, the the leading the world with a death toll, is a slap on our own face. We need to be more humble. We need to, you know, stop thinking we're number one. Uh, at the same time, striving to be the best, to be the beacon on the hill for the rest of the world by how. We deal internally with racial diversity, with you know ethnicity, and all the uh, different subcultures in this overwhelming American culture. Okay, so next question is: Women are not immune from vices. What are the typical women's vices? Well,
1: um, vice to me is generally something like you know you drink, you smoke, you whatever. But let's talk about um, just like cultural behaviors. Uh, There's this professor from Dartmouth, her name's Dr. Ella Bell. And uh, I got to hear her and read her book this summer. Uh, And it was really transformational for me. She looked at the career trajectories of black women and white women, just those two groups. And what were the different influences along the way? And um, when she asked black women, uh, who do you admire the most? They could rattle off, you know, historical figures, current figures, et cetera. When she asked white women, they were like, hmm, um, it was very hard for them to, to say, who, which women uh, do you admire? Uh, and then she, um, she asked, well, you know, d- do you respect and admire your mother? And no matter how crappy their mother might be, black women overall, admired and respected their mothers and white women didn't and I'm telling you this to give you some insights into there's a real cultural frame where white women don't trust each other and they undermine each other it is it is a cultural thing that was it it is uh, we grow up with it we get it honestly but we need to undo it um, and so I think I don't think you can say all women are monolithic um, but there's this mean girl scarcity behavior that happens with women that we that hurts us all. And we have to change it. I grew up with that. And I'm actively trying to undo that every, every minute. Um, Another thing that we do as women is we act like our contacts and connections are scarce um, or that um, it will be a massive reflection upon us. If we make an introduction and someone isn't perfect. Um, and that, and so we hold our connections really close to our chest and that's also very dangerous. Um, for us, it means we're not getting introductions for board opportunities. We're not, no one, uh, women, other women are not actively, uh, sponsoring us or speaking up for us when we're not in the room. Um, uh, they're not, uh, they're not extending their privilege men. And if you interview a bunch of women, men do it for them more than women do. Um, so, so women, can and must be better in those ways. The other thing is a lot of us are taught culturally and myself included, it's better to be behind the scenes. Don't take up too much airspace, don't be too visible. Uh, And it also, again, hurts us because Joanne, when you are shrinking, my daughter's watching you. She watches how you hold yourself. So we need women to stand up and be confident and even get out of your own, uh, own narrative or story that the culture has taught us um, and be unabashedly visible. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think if I think there's some very clear counter-cultural things that we can do as women that would help everybody else. The ripple effect is really significant if we do that.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very insightful. Uh, number 12 question. I ask this uh, to every person I interview for this podcast. Okay. What does your brand stand for? Julius Brand.
1: I, well, I, you're the brand expert. I'd love to turn that around and ask you. Um, uh, what do you think my brand stands for? Look, look, look at my
0: tagline: 10 plus brand stand mm-hmm. for something." Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's stand for something. Is yes. is what my brand stands for, and what I how I brand and coach people, coach CEOs uh, to to when I decode their DNA is like Ooh. the whole process is to decode. What is uh, the reason why you're doing what you're doing? What's the journey, the meandering journey to, for some people leading up to yeah. what you're doing from childhood, okay? And who uh, are your target audience? And uh, what are the pain points that your solutions are the best fit for your target? How do you serve them? And, and understand your competitive landscape. Comparing with people who are doing the same thing more or less of what you're doing, where, uh, how do you differentiate your st- your brand? So well, I can tell you for me,
1: it's justice, it's equity, it's racial justice and equity as much as it is gender justice and equity. Um, it, is, um, it is women coming together to create the things that society isn't offering them, for example, creating our own venture funds, Uh, you know, women creating a structure where women actively get other women on boards. Uh, Mm -hmm. To me, you know, if we want more women leading in film, we should fund the women leading in film and we should actively promote and go see those films. Like Tim, that part, that's part of my thing. And I say, you know, we have this generation of women who are, you know, in their middle essence, that 45 to 65 range. um, There's a, a, for the first time ever, we have a very large number of women executives in that space who have some power, some wealth and some influence. And they they're a huge lever and if we activate them and uh you know uh, connect with their their better instincts and their goals to have an impact and leave a legacy um and to give them a path and, and do it in community do it together and have fun um we can change we can change these structures that have held uh all of us back mm-hmm. uh, not just women
0: so achieving justice and equity for women passionately that's mm. your bread. that would be me. <laughs> yes, uh, so impressive. Okay, uh, number 13, finally, I wanna share these two things with you, okay? And hear your opinion. On um, International Women's Day, a woman posted this on LinkedIn and got many likes. It says, I am cross out female, I am a leader. So instead of I'm a female leader, I am a leader. Yeah, I love that. Okay, then, Number two is this picture, you know, for my uh, podcast audience, I will describe this picture um, briefly. So side by side, one says equity on the right, and the other is equality on the left. So under equality, everybody of different age and different height, the three year old and uh, eight year old and the dad, the tallest all have one wood box. yeah, that's right. up. And mm-hmm. then they're all watching a game. So the dad is like three heads above the fence and the nine-year-old is one head above the fence and the three-year-old, even with the same sized wood box beneath him, cannot see over the fence, cannot mm-hmm. enjoy the game. That's equality. Equity is the dad has no wood box. The eight-year-old or the nine-year-old have one, and the three-year-old has two. So dad give his box and stacked up. Oh. So now the three-year-old can see over the fence and everybody can see the game. Yeah. So first question is, uh, I am cross out female leader. What do you think of that? Well, I
1: think it's liberating because in the United States, actually uh, saying a female leader In some ways, is almost an oxymoron. It it is not culturally uh, something that we actually can identify, Uh, and and I think that that's what needs that's what we're working against as women leaders. Uh, Stanford's Clayman Institute calls it the likability penalty. Um, uh, You know, when you think about um, you know, women are always either you're too aggressive or you're too passive. You're too this or you're too that is almost impossible to walk on that tight rope constantly. Um, and women leaders um, are challenged by other women and men. And I work with women CEOs um, to really sort of acknowledge it and the the cost to all of us of lack of productivity, people's sustainability and ability to grow things because, um, because we, are, uh, we are not uh, given an equal playing field. We don't have the right risers Um, uh, is it, 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 it's unacceptable. And and we all, we all need to be paying attention.
0: Mm -hmm. So as long as people view a woman, a female leader as a female leader, that bias is already built in, into the judgment of her, no matter what she does, whether aggressive or non-aggressive, it'll be judged against her. So the the best way is just, she is a leader period. Yes. Yeah, okay. So what about this uh, equality versus equity?
1: Well, I mean, I think you named it beautifully. And, and this is the thing, if everybody can't see the game, the, the dad's gonna have to constantly explain to the three-year-old what's happening. He is gonna, you know, be distracted by the three-year-old. Um, it is so much better for everyone if everyone gets a, a chance to see the game and to have an opinion and to engage. It's more fun for everybody, uh, and um, so that's that's what I would like to see. Um, is all of us and it, it. Listen, it is. It's conscious. You can't. It's not an unconscious thing because our unconscious uh, state. Uh, puts us into a system of bias that we, uh, that we have to undo
0: actively. So um, it takes work, uh, right. but the benefits are tremendous. And that's the perfect answer to my prior question about having quote unquote quota for the public boards. Yes, in the beginning, when we are so disadvantaged in terms of the opportunity, we need that extra wood crate beneath, yes. But the three-year-old will not be three-year-olds forever. Yeah. The three-year-old will soon grow up to be tall enough to watch the game himself. So, mm-hmm. women at this stage, we do need this system to give us an equal playing field because we were disadvantaged s- severely. Yeah. And, and but that's this is not going to be the forever solution. And that's actually. Why not? And let me just give you one reason why
1: most board seats, eighty-five percent of board seats, are filled through word of mouth referrals from other board members.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. As I talked about in the beginning of our interview, if all of your contacts just look just like you Mm -hmm. and you're just, you're making referrals from your close networks, you will never diversify a board by forcing the issue and requiring, if you have seven or more directors, you have to have three women on your board in California. That means when new board seats open up three out of the seven people are going to have different networks now. So in concept over time, it's not just a matter of people accepting the, the, the contribution of women, literally there will be more people at the table, making those decisions, building, you know, bringing people into those networks. There's nothing equitable about how boards are built in our country right now. It is, it is rife with bias. That's, you can call it proximity bias. You know, there's a you know 280 types of biases in the human brain. Um, uh, so
0: so, yes. so so I do have one more yeah. question. Okay, imagine how politically incorrect to have an organization called How Men Lead. Mm-hmm. Do you foresee that someday we no longer need to have gender-based, ethnicity, and race-based organizations like How Women Lead?
1: Maybe. Um, I do know that there is, you know, when you, people in, you know, you talk about the salad. I think it's, it's really, there are a time and a place where it's really fun to get, you know, get together with people just like you. Um, you're uh, literally your, your nervous system relaxes when people are like you and get you. Um, sure. Wouldn't it be great if we didn't, if we didn't, if there was no it, it, women lead wouldn't exist if there wasn't it, if there was complete equity and justice, um, there wouldn't be a, an impetus to make it happen, but I like hanging around with other women. Um, you know, I hope we, we always get that opportunity.
0: Yeah, men have their own exclusive clubs too, you know. Uh,
1: and you know what, if it, if it wasn't so destructive with, in all these other ways, if it didn't reinforce negative things or create less value, mm-hmm. um, or injustice it wouldn't be so bad but unfortunately um what could be seen as something innocuous ultimately causes problems
0: i see uh, it's going to be
1: some years it's going to be a long time Well, yeah. right now they say 280 years so i don't think we really have to worry right now about the moment we get to equity we can leave that for the next uh, five generations from now yeah <laughs>
0: i agree with you totally yeah. Uh, well, thank you so much. This is very helpful and, and inspiring. Yes. And I truly, um, I, I'm hat off to your courage, to your passion and your leadership. Thank you. Joanne. Yes. And look forward to uh, working with you. You know, uh, how women lead. Thank you. And enjoy the rest of the day. All right. Bye.